minutes, if you would look with us in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. I guess I've thought on this Scripture for a, a pretty good span of time. Never really got free to preach it. feel like that this is where the Lord would have us to look. and We've got a large portion of Scripture that we'd like to, to cover. And I, I've thought this, if we could just, if we just skim the surface of what we look at and pique your interest and you say, you know, I need to, I need to dig into that a little more. Uh, I feel like that'd be wonderful. The first chapter of 1 Corinthians, we'll just read a few verses and then walk down through the rest of it, starting in verse number 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. We'll stop there and think about these verses for just a few minutes. Uh, as we try to set the context, and I, I believe forever Scripture, and especially in the epistles, we've got to understand what we're looking at, what He's talking about around that Scripture in order to rightly divide the Word of God. So Paul has, uh, Paul has been to Corinth. He's... There he's preached the gospel. There there's been a church established. And uh, I, I believe Paul was a man that, that bore the weight of the church on his heart and on his mind. And not just one, but all of the churches where he ministered. I believe he labored daily in prayers for them. And he gets word now from what looks like a party in the church that, that there's quarreling. That's what contentions mean. There's, there's quarreling and divisions and separations in the church. And I, I believe here it all boils down to this. Who's better? I'm better. And, and you know, he's going to go on to say that that thinking in chapter 3, that verse 3, For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And in verse 1, at the end of that verse, but as unto carnal even as unto babes in Christ. So any type of this thinking of who is better and who's greater, Paul sums that up as two things. One, it's carnal. It's pertaining to the flesh. You're, you're not thinking spiritually in the new life that Christ gives you, but you're thinking as it pertains to man and the persons of man, and, and it's babes. Now that word you look that up, it means an infant in this regard, not speaking. So 
you think he doesn't say children. He doesn't say teenagers. You know, to act like teenagers, that'd be a shame of itself as men and women. But he doesn't say that. He brings it down really to, to the lowest level of understanding that there is a, a little infant that doesn't know anything that's going on. And, and to, for me now, think about this. Maybe this ain't profound to you, but to me it's profound. For me to begin to think of myself as absolutely anything, especially above somebody else in the family of God, that's thinking as a little infant would think. There's no spiritual understanding and there's no spiritual discernment in thinking that way. So there's these contentions and and it's even going to get to this that they're going to say, well, Paul preached when I got saved. And Paul's the best. Or another would say, Apollos was preaching when I got saved. And and the Bible says in Acts that he was eloquent. Well, Apollos, he can speak a lot better than Paul. And I come when when he was speaking. And another says, well, Cephas, that's, that's Peter. Peter was preaching when I got saved. And he was the chief of the apostles. He was the first of the disciples. So you see how this envying, this strife, this thinking of greater, it divides absolutely every part of the church. It'll get down into every crevice, into every thought, and it had even got down now to where they they were arguing and bickering and trying to put one above another by who preached when they got saved. Now that that thinking is what Paul's going to address here really in the next three chapters. They're divided. They're thinking one's above another. They've got trust in their self and they're downing their brethren. And so Paul says like this, is Christ divided? Is there any division in Christ, the the man as He was on the earth or the God as He's in heaven at the right hand of God? Is there any division in His family? And he says... Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? How perfect. What do we baptize in? By the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ, you go unto all the world and preach the gospel. Them that believe and come to faith, you baptize them in the name of the Father. Not the names. He doesn't say in the names of, but in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know who that is? That is the God that brought us to salvation. I realize they've got their own office. They've got their own work. But they work as one to bring them that He chose before the foundation of the world under redemption in Jesus Christ. So here He's he's saying, did I baptize you? Did I have any part in your baptism. And he says, Did was Paul crucified? Did I give myself for you? What have I done for you that you could be saved? Paul was not the cause of this salvation. Ain't it something that man believes that man is the cause of salvation? And that may, that may apply in a lot of different ways. But you, you dig down to the bottom and there's a pile of beliefs that think man is the cause of salvation. Paul says, I wasn't crucified for you. You weren't baptized in my name. It wasn't me that immersed you in the Spirit. This was ever been a work of God. For Christ sent me not to baptize. Did Paul baptize? He just said, 
that he did baptize people. But you know, that wasn't Paul's main job. He, he was called and sent by God to preach the gospel. That word preach is to be a public crier. And the gospel is the good news. What good news is he proclaiming? Liberty in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. God called Paul to go and to preach the word of God and to uncover Jesus to a world that was blind in darkness and in sin. Not with wisdom of words. So not, in, not Paul being wise and a wise speaker and, and able to figure out the, the psychology of man and, and you know we're going to target them with this and we'll target this one with that and we'll go and play on their emotions and we'll play on their guilt and we'll, we'll get a move out of them. I tell you what, there's a lot of junk that goes on. And I, I, you want to know how you can know whether it's right or not? In a year, where are they at? In six months, where are they at? All of these, while we've had, in the last 10 years, we've seen 150 saved. And ain't a one of them in the church. How, how can that be? I, a lot of it's by the wisdom of man's words. But Paul wasn't called to preach with the wisdom of words because that would, the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. When man begins to interject himself in the work of God, Christ and the work of God is being made empty and useless. See, man's doing everything today and God's left out. We've got a vision of that in Laodicea. The church is coming together. They're good. They're rich in their own eyes. They're righteous. And Jesus said, when you come together in the church... I'm outside of the door and knocking, desiring to get in. But man's got everything took over. Well, he says, I was called to preach not with the wisdom of words. Now listen to verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. That sounds like a blanket statement to me, don't it you? To them that perish the preaching, and not just preaching in general, but the preaching of the cross is foolishness. That word means silliness or absurdity. And he's going to go on. Let's just read another verse or two. And God help us to get it all pulled together. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So God has chosen this. Do you see that? That by wisdom, by learning, by man working and by man studying and by man learning and by man uh, applying himself, that is not the way that God chose for man to come to knowledge in Jesus Christ. That though a man could be well learned, and I, I believe Paul in, in his early days of Judaism, I believe he was a well learned man. I believe there were scribes that, that maybe even had whole books of the Old Testament memorized because they had wrote 
at so many times. And Pharisees, they had the practice of the law. They had the form and fashion of godliness down. And you know, by the wisdom of man's words, by the wisdom of man's thinking, you could sit under the greatest teacher that there was in that day and you could learn a great deal of information. And yet... Never come to the knowledge that you are lost and in need of redemption and Jesus is the only means of that redemption to come. We could, we could gather and teach and preach for year after year and you could gain great knowledge, ever learning, yet never able. See, there's, there's no wisdom of man. I didn't respond because I figured it out and I come to God. I, I believe that's what he's saying here. If it's by wisdom, then the cross is made of none effect. If it's Paul's wisdom that got me to the altar, if it's Peter's wisdom that got me to the altar, or if it was my wisdom that brought me to the altar, it was of no value. The cross is left out of the picture. It's made of none effect. Because God now, in His wisdom, He's going to take what man thinks, and He's going to take what man knows, and He's going to make absolutely nothing out of it. He's going to make the wisdom of this world foolish. And so he does that through the preaching of the cross. He says in verse 22, For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness. So he's preaching now the cross. He's preaching the Son of God incarnate, dying on the cross paying for the sin and the guilt of man that they could be forgiven and brought to life. And the Jew, the Jew now, who were religious and studied, and they didn't need forgiveness of sins because they were right in their own eyes. Ain't that the way the church world is today? We really don't need a Savior. We don't need to be forgiven. We don't need to be saved. Uh, but what we need now is somebody to come and to do away with the Romans and set us free in the flesh that we could live on top of the world. And that's what man looks to Jesus for today out of the religious crowd. And this, this Savior now... This Messiah that came and the Romans crucified Him. Now they're looking for a Savior to come and, and crucify the Romans. They, there's no way this was Him. And so they stumble at the cross. And the Greeks now, the Greeks who were wise and thinkers, and they invented all of these gods and mythology and all of their gods, they were superhuman. And they had control of the wind and the thunder. And to think now that here's a God that came and He, he was hungry and He was thirsty and He was weak and He submitted Himself to man and man took Him and did what He was to Him. They said that's absolute absurdity. There's no way that a God can be brought that low. And again, the cross, they stumbled at. So you see, it's, it's all in one place where all the trouble is. The Jews require a sign, an indication. I need some proof. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. They're looking for something 
that they don't know and never heard before. And the preaching of the cross is neither of those things. You see that? It's not what they're looking for. So who is this then, looking at the problem? Who is this for the preaching of the cross, verse 18, is to them that perish foolishness? Who is that? Who's perishing? All of those that are unbelievers. Would you not agree with that? Every single one of them. When I was an unbeliever, the preaching of the cross was foolishness to me. And when you were an unbeliever, the preaching of the cross was foolishness unto you. And so here, here's the Jew and the Greek, and and if you'll have it, that's the whole world. There were only people that were of the, the lineage of Abraham, and the Greek was everybody else. Today, there's people that's grown up in church and are religious or semi-religious or knowledgeable, and then there's everybody else that don't have any knowledge. And so the whole world is grouped up here, and the preaching of the cross is foolishness and absurdity to every one of them. So what's got to happen then? So listen, look at the Scripture and listen. I'm not going to make it say anything that it doesn't say. But let's just look what the Scripture says. In verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. He's preaching the gospel of Christ. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called... So what's he saying there? You see, there's different people here. You see that? There's three different groups that he lays out. There are Jews by nature who are religious with a knowledge of the Old Testament and the preaching of the cross is a stumbling block to them. They stumble at the fact the Messiah was crucified and did not bring Israel above the rest of the world. They just can't believe that that was the Savior. The Greeks look at this weak and and foolish and poor and nothing of a man that was crucified and they say, there's no way that somebody like that was God. And that's, that's foolishness to them to think that. But under the called... Listen, let's read. Both Jews and Greeks. So out of those two groups then, there's a third group. There's one that has been called. The word there called, it means invited or appointed. It's the same word in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle. It's the same exact word. And so how was Paul called? Paul, why God just came and said, Paul, if you want to, you can believe it. And if you don't, you can just go right on to Damascus. Is that what happened to Paul? No, I tell you, the call that came to Paul, it wasn't a wooing, nor was it an invitation, but God stopped Paul on the road to Damascus and said, Paul, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, and it's hard for you. You're not going to be able to kick against the prick, against the goad, the sharp stick that I've put behind you. Who art thou, Lord? What would you have me to do? So the calling then, them that are the called out of both of these groups. So it's not whether I'm a Jew or not. It's not whether I'm a Greek 
It's not whether I'm wise. It's not whether I know the Scriptures. It's not whether I've been to college. It's not whether I have an understanding of deep Greek language. It's not whether I've studied the Word of God my whole life and went to seminary. It's not because of the pastor that I've got. It's not because that I am something big or learned. But it's simply because of the calling and invitation of God that came to my heart as I was a sinner. That's the Word of God. And to everybody that's not called, this will remain foolishness to them. The only thing that will turn a man to the Lord Jesus Christ is the calling of God. Well, preacher, that's all right. But, see, you've got a problem here in Corinth. Some think they're better than others. They think they're smarter than others. They think they're more religious and faithful and righteous than others. And so in order for me to be better, I've got to find something in my life where I'm more than you. And you know, we might lay our lives down side by side and I might find a few places where I am more than you. But that had nothing to do with my salvation. What I was... The day that the Lord saved me, whether I was a churchgoer that prayed every day or a man that was wicked out in the world, the fact of the matter is, without God's calling, I would have remained lost unto this day. What i done had nothing to do with whether I came to God or not. That's what the Word of God says. So unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ... The power of God. Now he's going to say in chapter 2, verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So Paul says that word enticing, let's just get the definition of it. Paul says when I preach, I believe this by what we read here in the first two chapters of Corinthians, Paul came and preached the gospel. And he wasn't... Why, you need to persuade them. You need to try to talk them in. It'd be good if you called them by name. It'd be good if you got them by the hand and, and drug them down. You just need to get them down to Christ. Well, friends, Paul the Apostle never did any of that. He said, I didn't even preach with persuasive words. I tell you, you look, you look at the example of the Old Testament and you even look at the Lord Jesus Christ. There was Ruth and she said, I'm going with you, Naomi. Just go back. If you can go back, go and be with your sister and go and be with your people. It's not going to benefit you any to stay with me. Oh, but there was a call. And you see that? And then Elijah come and he, he cast the mantle on Elisha. And he, Elisha said, just wait a minute. Wait on me. I'm coming to follow you. And Elijah said, what did I do? Go back. Don't follow me. You see, it's the calling of God that was at work in the heart and in the mind of man. And even the lady, uh, the, the Gentile that came to the Lord Jesus, he said, why, I can't give my bread to the dogs. 
But you see, that they couldn't be discouraged. That's right. There was a working of God in the heart. But you want to talk about persuasive. Their words were the opposite of persuasive. Well, I believe we can I believe we can ought to get them in. Well, I believe you're going against the word of God. You're contrary to the scriptures. And by man's wisdom, we're making the work of Christ of none effect. So, unto them which are called, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So it must be then, the ability to see what's going on must be tied up in the calling. I I believe that Paul as he's inspired by the Holy Ghost of God to write these words down. I don't believe he missed a pen mark in any part of the book. But I believe it's written just exactly as it was. Now man might say today, well, what made the difference was that I believed it and that I came to it. Because I had faith, that's why that I was brought in. That is not what this Scripture says. It's not them that believed. It's not to them that moved. It's not to them that repented but it's under them that are called, they're able to see the work of God that takes place in the heart. I'm going to tell you, we've been cast out by a multitude of men for what we preach, but I believe it's, I believe it's the Word of God. I believe this is the Word of God. I believe this is what the Bible says because the foolishness of God is wiser. What a thought now that God knows more than I know. That sounds very elementary. But if you look, oftentimes man says that, but they think something else. They think we can do more than what God does. And really we know better than what God knows. And we can get this work done better than even God can Himself. We're going to get our hands in on it and we're going to do the work. That won't work from behind the pulpit and that won't work from the pew either. I'm not going to figure it out myself. But the, the difference now is whether or not the individual is called. To them that are called. I, I believe this is exactly what you see in John chapter number 3. Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To be born again, we can get the wrong idea from the wording in the King James if we're not careful. What it means is to be procreated, to be uh, born, to be begat. That's the word you see in other places. To be begat from above. Not of the earth, not of the flesh. Nicodemus, in order for you to see the kingdom, you're going to have to be begotten again. You're going to have to be born from above. God must do a work in order for you to see the kingdom of God. You see, that's what he's saying here. Here's man in all of his wisdom of his flesh and man in all of the righteousness of his flesh and he's above the gospel. But here's some people that God has begat again, born from above, and they're able to see what the Lord Jesus has done for them and they believe it unto salvation. And they believe it because they were called. 
So he's going to say on over in John chapter 3, this is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I, I believe that'll, I believe you can tie that in with its foolishness to them. This is foolishness because the Jew, he's not, I'm not sinful. I mean, I've got the temple, I've got all my praying, I've got my baptism, as we would say, and I've got all these good works that I've done in my life. I, I just don't really need to be saved. That's foolish to even think that way. And the Greek says, well, my gosh, we're, we're so above that way. We're so above that line of thinking that they're just, we've got it figured out to where there's not even a God in the world. And you know where we were? We were tied in with them. There we were thinking those very things. i tell you where I was. I was in darkness and I believe it just exactly like Paul said it. That I was the chiefest of sinners. But you know what I didn't know? I didn't know that. I was okay. My religion had made me alright. And in my mind... I was on the road to heaven until the calling of God came. And God did this to make His wisdom to be exalted over top of all the ability, all of the thinking, all of the wisdom, all of the righteousness of man. None of this has anything to do with man. We're hung up in men today. And in the flesh, I'd like for you to be hung up on me. But that's not the Word of God. The man makes absolutely no difference. If I died, God could call somebody and stand them up and have them do the same work that I've got to do. Makes no difference to me. It makes no difference to God. And the truth is it makes no difference to you either. God's able to work... What matters is whether it's God working or whether it's of man. See, the, remember the argument. Don't get it out of context now. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas. This man's better than this man. And, you know, without Paul, we wouldn't be nothing. And without Peter, we wouldn't be nothing. And what Paul's doing is he's trying to direct them to see that it wasn't Paul, and it wasn't Apollos, and it wasn't Cephas and any of this, but this was the wisdom and the divine plan of God that did it. Get your eyes and your mind off of man because God's foolishness is wiser and His weakness is stronger than the best that man has got. And you know what he's doing? He's proving it. He is through the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit, he's proving that men have nothing outside of God's work. So listen now. Verse 24. But unto them which are called... So I believe we've got this established in Scripture that the call is the difference. And man's going to argue and say, well, what now, wait a minute, preacher. That's well and good, but God's calling everybody the same. That, that's, that's what man believes, that everybody receives the same exact grace 
and the same exact calling and the same exact opportunity. Let's see if Scripture agrees with that. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling. So look at your call. That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. Look at the calling that you received. I believe Paul could stand and look at the calling that he received. And if you've been called out of darkness into light, if you've been translated out of the kingdom of of wickedness and of Satan into the kingdom of the dear Son, you can do this with them. Look at your calling. Look at how God came to you when the God's truth is in everything you knew, you knew nothing. And what you did know was absolutely wrong. But look how God came and through the foolishness of preaching in a moment. Not because we got our bachelor's degree in religion, but I take not four years time, not 12 years of grade school, but in a moment, God came and changed your mind. You see your calling, brethren. I believe it's been said, but I'll say it right here. You need to look at your words. Who is He talking to here? He's not talking to the whole world. For ye, you, the church at Corinth, see your calling. And if that's not enough, brethren is added in there. Who's been called? Them that are in the church. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. Now what is he saying? Look at the calling that you received and recognize that there's not been many mighty, not many wise, and not many noble after the flesh that's been called. They have not received the calling that you received in Jesus Christ. So you know what man's going to say? God called me because these words here, mighty. Wise, we know what wise means. My, my smarts and my figuring it out. Not many mighty, powerful, or capable men and not many noble, well-born, or high in rank. See, if, if that's all that was saved, then man would glory and say, I'm saved because of what I was beforehand. What I was before is what resulted in me coming to God. But do you see your calling, brethren? I tell you, I would that the whole world was with us tonight. But I tell you what God's done. He's proving that it's not by wisdom. It's not by the capabilities or the the thinking power of man. And it's not by whether I'm royalty or not. Or whether I've been born into a good name. Or whether I've got a good family. It's That's not the reason that we were called. Now he doesn't say none. That there were none of them called. There were a few. The chamberlain of the city was a part of the church here. A, a, a man that had a, a rank and a name in the community. But it wasn't ever one of them that was called. 
There may be a lot of different ranks and classes and job titles and specialties gathered here in the church. But you know what? It ain't every HVAC man that's in the church of the living God. It's not every man for the power company that's in the church of the living God. It's not every man that's went to college that's in the church of the living God. It's not every civil engineer that's in the church of the living God. But you know what you can see? You can see that out of the whole of the world, God has chosen some to uh, uh, illuminate them and bring them into the family that it wouldn't be about you. But it's to His glory and to His honor. So not many are called, but God has chosen Who made the decision? Well, preacher, you preach the gospel. God's calling everybody and they've got to make the decision. The Bible says that God hath chosen to select or make choice the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So foolish, dull or stupid and to confound, to shame or to disgrace the wise. So here, you know what you've got? You've got, I believe here's a good picture of it. You've got harlots and publicans and and drunkards that are sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to His teaching and believing that are being baptized by John the Baptist and repenting of their evil. And you've got Pharisees and scribes that growed up in religion and was taught the Word of God and they're casting them out. And it may not happen in this life, but the day's coming that the the weak and the beggarly and the nothings are going to confound. They're going to be ashamed. They're going to be ashamed. God chose the weak to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. I believe you can see it all through the Old Testament. I believe you can see one man, Elijah, against 400 prophets on the mountain. I believe you can see Gideon. Gideon, you've got too many. And you cut them down to 10,000. Gideon, you've still got too many. This is going to be because I've done. He told Jehoshaphat, I believe it was, you just go and I'm going to win the battle. And Jehoshaphat, he didn't put the mighty men in the front. He put the band up front to sing and praise God. And there's David, there's the least of his brethren, not out of Israel, not out of Israel, but bring it down out of his own family. There's the least one of his brothers. And he's going to defeat the mightiest man in the army of the Philistines. You know why that is? It's not going to be because David was stronger. It's not going to be because David was wiser. It's not going to be because David was some great warrior. He hadn't been to this point. But God's going to get the glory. That's what's going on here. And the base things of the world, so the base, without kin or ignoble. Remember that word noble up above. It was to be well born. Who's God choosing? He's not choosing the known people. And if we were going to make a team, if we were going to make a basketball team, we'd get the tallest. If we were going to get a football team, we'd want the strongest and maybe the fastest. And we're going to choose the best 
and the top. If we're going to put together a team, you know, if the United States is going to put together a team to go to war with Afghanistan, they're going to pick the wisest and the smartest warriors out of the group. But you know who God's chose? God's looked over the world and He started at the bottom and those are the ones that He's picked and He's using them to bring down the wisdom of the world. Why would God do something so foolish? Look at you. There's nobody that means anything that'll follow you. Ain't that the truth? We're not in something new. You go back to Genesis, and in Noah's day, the giants and the men of renown and the wise men, you go back farther to Cain, you know where all the wise and the cunning and the people that were wise in music and the people that knew how to build, you know where all of them were? Cain's side. You go back, you want to see the start of royalty and power, you know where you see that? The dukes and the archdukes, that's Esau's family. Over and over and over again, here's all the mighty people and the wise people and the strong people over here, and yet here's God's little chosen number, and He's going to bring them all down with that. Why is that? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in His presence. So that there's no one that can boast of their self or of anything they've done in the presence of God. Would you think on that for just a moment? That's, I promise, that's a lot more profound than you think of at first glance. That you individually have not one thing to boast in in the presence of God. But I believed, preacher. But I moved when all the world didn't move. If you're going to believe what some is promoting today, then you're going to have to put some kind of credit, some kind of place where I've done something that resulted in what I am today. That cannot be by the Word of God. Rather, it's what I've done has been a result of what God did from the very foundation of the world. God's chosen this weakness, this foolishness, that there would be no flesh to glory in God's presence. Now, in in chapter 2 and verse number 10, 9 and 10. Now, Let's back up to eight, and I'll hurry. But listen to these verses. These, these first four chapters, they go together beautifully. I'll never pull it together like I've seen in bits and pieces. But listen to how this goes. Chapter 2, 1 Corinthians, verse number 8. Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now by the Scripture then, the reason Jesus was crucified, and if you want to say it's the Jews or the Romans, Pilate, whoever you want to point the finger at, the reason they crucified Him is because they didn't know who He really was. 
The Bible says if they had known Him, they would not have crucified Him. I don't know how you can argue with what the Bible says. So listen to the next verse. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. A quote from Isaiah 64, and a scripture that has always been aimed to heaven. But do you see in these chapters, He's making no reference to heaven whatsoever. What's he talking about in the verse before? That the princes and the wise men of the world did not know who Jesus was. Why didn't they know Him? He's quoting a scripture to show us why they didn't know Him because the natural eye and the natural mind and the natural heart of man is unable. There is no ability. It's impossible for them to be able to see and to be able to hear, and to be able to understand who the Lord Jesus really was. He's not talking about I can't envision heaven. He's saying that without God, you cannot know who Jesus is. Your eye can't see it, nor your heart perceive it. So what's got to happen? Well, the next verse, but He hath revealed them Well, God's revealed them to the whole world. That is not what the Scripture says. He didn't reveal it to the princes because they didn't know who He was. But He's revealed to us and praise God. you know what that brings me to say? Thank God that He revealed Jesus unto my heart. That there I was, weak and base, and nobody would have chosen me. Nobody would have said, I want Him on my team. And the Lord, by His grace and mercy, revealed to me something that I would have never seen myself. I believe that's what He's saying. But God. There's a but there. What happens when you see that, that conjunction, but? And... And brings two thoughts together in similar fashion. But a but is, it's an opposite. There's going to be something else interjected. So here's man in his natural state, unable to see, unable to hear, and unable to perceive, but God. you know what that sounds like? It sounds like in Ephesians chapter 2, Ronnie preached to you here a year ago, it sounds like that man who's in sin who's following the course of this world, who's under the prince of the power of the air, but God, who is rich in mercy. You know what's going to happen? God is going to interject Himself in the whole world. God hath revealed them unto us by Spirit. By, that, that word by, it's the channel of an act. So, I guess it's as good of an example as I can think of. You got a well, you got a fountain. There's a pipe that is a channel. That's the means for the water to get from the well to the fountain. There's water in the well, the fountain's working, but without a channel to carry that, then there's no water going to come out. Well, the Spirit is the channel. So God the Father 
is going to call us and He's going to call us by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's the pump out there on the well that's going to bring the water up and that water's going to reach these individual hearts by the Holy Spirit of God. And what's God doing? He's revealing who Jesus is. He's opening their hearts. He's opening their minds. Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this, but my Father which is in heaven... So let's go back now, verse 30, chapter 1. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. So that word of, if you look that up, it means a point of origin. The place where, I'm not making any of this up. This is all, if you've got a Strong's, you can look it up and you can see it for your own self. But it's the point from which action proceeds. So the Word of God then says that uh, the church of Corinth, that you and I that are saved, we are of Him. But of Him. So God is the point of origin. And if God's left out of the equation in any place then there can be no salvation. But preacher, it was Paul that brought me the Word of God. It was was, uh, Apollos that brought me the Word of God. I tell you, they had the Lord Jesus speaking to them in person and they could not see who He was. The flesh has nothing to do with His salvation. It was God that opened your heart. It was God that opened your eyes. It was God that revealed unto you who His Son was by the Spirit. And it's God. God is the reason that we're in Christ Jesus. Now if it had been any other way, if it would have been my move that got me in Christ, I believe God would have told me that in His Word. But it's of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. Who is made. That word, it's the word where we, the Greek word, that we get the word generate from. To cause to be or to become. I think it's a great picture. You've got a generator. There's no electricity there. There's a motor and there's gas. And that generator takes that gasoline, that diesel that propane and uses that to generate electricity. It makes electricity. Really what you're doing is you're trading fuel to make electricity. That's the way it works. At a power plant, it's the same way, just on a bigger scale. Something that was not there before is being made. Well, that's what God's doing. God is making, He's generating, He's causing the Lord Jesus to be unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Where is all that at? It's all in Christ. It's not that Christ makes me wise and I'm wiser than you because of it. It's not that Christ makes me sanctified. And now, now don't take this wrong. He doesn't make me sanctified that I can say, look how sanctified I am versus you. But see, my sanctification, my redemption, my wisdom is Christ Himself. 
Not something that's coming from me, but it's coming and generated from Jesus Christ. You, can you say you're sanctified? Then Jesus is your sanctification. It's not your religion that is, but it's Jesus. Can you say that you're redeemed? Can you say that God's made you wise? Can you stand up and say that I know who the Lord Jesus is? Well, you know, by the scripture, you can stand and say that because God made Jesus unto you as wisdom. Of him are ye in Christ, that according as it is written, Have you heard this lately? You're preaching something new. You're making this up as you go along. I I believe they accused Paul of that. I do. I believe Paul was accused of that. And so Paul now, Paul's going to quote, this is a second time, from the Old Testament, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory... In the Lord. So why? what is the purpose of all of this work? It's that those that glory would glory in Him and in Him alone. He says in Ephesians, and really some wonderful Scripture, Ephesians chapter 1, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Why is this work being done? To the praise of of the glory of His grace, that the church would stand and not claim anything good to themselves, but would claim and praise the glory of the grace of God that delivered them Satan and brought them into the family of God. Well, preacher, I'm better than some of these folks. In Christ Jesus, you absolutely are not. To think that way is thinking like a baby that don't understand what got us to where we are. He says one more verse just to nail it down a little tighter. 1 Corinthians 4 verse number 6. These things, brethren, have I in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. They were saying that this man knows more than that man. And this man is a better preacher than that man. And man's getting glory. You see, you see how that happens. Man's getting glory. Man's getting acclaim. Paul says, look, I've transferred this to me and Apollos that you would learn something. It's not about the man. He's going to say in chapter 3, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God that brought forth any fruit. Well, who is he that watereth? And who is he that planteth? We're nothing but the servants doing as God would bid us to do. It's not of man. Get your hope and your eye and your thought off of man and get it to where Paul was trying to point the church. So he's going to ask them this question. They're puffed up for one 
against another. For who maketh thee to differ? That word means to separate thoroughly, to discriminate. Who makes you different from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if we look in that, in the light of what we've already just barely skimmed the surface of, how can I look at anybody and say, well, boy, I believed and they didn't and I'm better than they are. See, that, that can't be the case. It's not, it did not originate in me. It not, did not originate in my wisdom. It didn't originate in my family bloodline. It didn't originate in the man preaching the gospel. But this work originated from God. And who made me different? Who made me to see this? Who brought me to repentance? Who gave me what? What do I have that I didn't get from Him? Did I get any of this of my own doing? Now if thou didst receive it, if God gave it as a gift unto us, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? You know where we can glory? When I earn it. If I earn it in any way, I can say I earned this. I did this. But Paul says, if it was given, how can you say that you earned it? That's thinking like an infant, wouldn't you say? God help us to see as the Word of God would lead. That's all that's on our heart.